Hello and welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God in RPG podcast. It's Eric here, one of your co-hosts, hanging out because uh, Kat has once again chosen to sail the high seas and engage in pirating activities uh, without Nadia and myself. So we are we are alone here. Is that what we usually go for, Nadia? Is, is Kat's off doing pirate work now? Uh, we've gone through. She's gone to get cigarettes. Mm-hmm. She's coming right back. She's gone to get milk. She's coming right mm-hmm. back. Uh, mm-hmm. She's a pirate. But I would argue, actually, that she is right now in San Diego Comic-Con, which is more dangerous than all three of those things put together. That is that's a, yeah. If I recall correctly, wasn't there a year where a, a Harry Potter cosplayer stabbed someone in the eye with a wand? <laughs> Checks out. <laughs> it does check out, The most it? normal Harry Potter fan you've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Harry Potter fans, Kenneth Shepard's here. <laughs> what the fuck? Don't put that on me. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Ken, how you doing? Oh, I'm just I'm vibing. I'm I'm vibing less now that you did that. But um, you know, <laughs> I was I, I took notice, Eric, because it's, it's a thing I know about you, but it's a thing I forget until we're on a show that is mm-hmm. not our show. I know exactly that what you're you intro. Say. Yep, that you intro <laughs> Blood God the same way you do here, and like my immediate muscle memory is be like, oh, we're recording an episode of Normandy, but then you're like, yeah. hello and welcome, and mm-hmm. then I was like, oh, mm-hmm. this is not the same show. We're not talking about the same shit. It's because I, a long time ago, my my former editor, when I was an intern at the time, uh, Garrett Martin over at Paste, I was doing mm. some sort of video for them, and I opened it with, what's up, guys? And Garrett, I remember, w- turned the video on, watched it, and then stopped immediately. It was like, never say that again. <laughs> but there's a guy, the Bright Sun Films guy, he goes, yeah. what's up, guys? My name is Jake. Uh, took away a catchphrase from you. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's once you once you hear it, you hear it everywhere. And so uh, I never use it again. And I know mm. another person who probably never uses what's up, guys, in, in normal conversation is Ash Parrish. <laughs> Ash, how no, are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Generally, when I address people, uh, I say, sup, sluts. That's, mm, that's my general rating. Go. That's good. That's general neutral. It's, I like that. Yeah, it's gender neutral. It's, it's good. I, yeah. that that could be a bold new horizon for <laughs> for acts of the blood god is not tell cat and next time she's gone we open every show with sup sluts welcome to acts of the blood god <laughs> and see when you say it it rolls off the tongue so nicely so uh-huh. i think that's that's a yeah good test case i love this yeah so cat's out Sorry, as a Canadian, I'm often like dinged for saying y'all because I married a Southern husband and just kind of really, it's so convenient. Why would I not say y'all? And Y'all's great. Like, Why are you saying y'all? I say y'all I all the time. I'm never... from the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah, I thought yeah, so. I used to never say y'all. Like, I used to be like very staunchly opposed to it as like a way of rebelling against my Southern roots. And then I was like, oh, it's actually the best it's way good. to address a group of people. So It is. Hey, y'all. Mm-hmm. Scott here. Well, for all y'all here, Cat uh, is out this week. We've brought on Ken and Ash to talk about a wonderful thing in RPGs that has become very relevant this week, and that is uh, character creators and how we make the characters that we like to play in role-playing games. Ken got to see all of the ways in which you can <laughs> custom create a character in Baldur's Gate 3 earlier this week. And we'll talk about that and then segue into a broader discussion about character creators in RPGs. But first, as always, we are Acts of the Blood God in RPG podcast. You can find us at uh, bloodgodpod.com. We have a shop, shop.com. 
bloodgodpod.com. I think that's the I right URL. So. If it's yeah, not, don't right. hate me. Uh, we do have a merch shop. It's great. We got a ton of great stuff up there. I keep meaning to uh, go and get that D&D mat that we have because mm. uh, I love yeah. that D&D art that we have. It's so good. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where you can support us at uh, any level. You know, it gets you into the Discord, lets you hang out. And if you get to the highest level, the Stars of Destiny, you can uh, listen to us record these shows live, really see how the sausage gets made. <laughs> what a sausage. This this week, we've got Anthrax, Bees, Harvest Lunatic, Mango Old, Super Move, and Teebs hanging out with us here in the chat as we record. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, and, you know, we've also got some events coming up. We've got the charity stream that will be a week from this recording and less than a week if you're listening to this on the free feed. Uh, or the normal feed. Uh, it'll be on July 29th and 30th. We are hosting our second annual uh, charity stream in support of Trans Lifeline. We're very happy about that. It's it's coming together. It's coming together last minute, y'all. The the tracks are getting laid down as the, the train is hurtling is forward. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is that Bioware magic. You know, it just all comes together right at the end of development. Uh, and historically, much like Bioware, it's never gone wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. It has always worked, <laughs> and uh, it will continue to work. Uh, Absolutely. Just don't stare too closely. No, it's it's coming together. We've got some great stuff lined up for y'all. I think it's going to be a really good time. And as always, we will have great guests. We will have fun segments. We will have stretch goals. We will have giveaways. It's going to be a whole time and it will all be in support of a wonderful cause that we love supporting here on Acts of the Blood God. And, you know, make sure to check out all our specials and stuff. We got Charlene Dropouts, which will be very relevant. We'll be recording the next Dropouts live on that charity stream, and it'll be a reaction to FF14 Fan Fest and any and all announcements that happen there. And Nadia will be on the ground for us covering live from the show. Uh, yeah. Nadia, what are you going to ask Yoshi P when you get the chance? Uh, first thing I'm going to say is I'm going to point to I'm going to point to Baldur's Gate 3 and say mm-hmm. you are missing something. Mm-hmm. I think this mm-hmm. needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. And then I'll get kicked out. But it'll mm-hmm. be worth it. You're going to ask Yoshi P where it's stored. Uh, you're going to find <laughs> yeah. out the information. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, no, it's it's going to be a great time. So tell me uh, more about Catboys, Yoshi P. I have some questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But with all that being said, let's get into our main show segment of the week. And we we're talking about character creators. So to lead it off, Kenneth Shepard. By day over at Kotaku, you uh, you got to see some some information about Baldur's Gate three. Can you enlighten us as to the things you learned and and what dark secrets you uncovered <laughs> in, in the menus? Uh, so uh, I got to see basically like a guided tour of the entire Baldur's Gate three character creator. Uh, it all started because I basically asked if they would show me the dick and balls. And mm-hmm. they were like, just right up there. Uh, well, at first they were like, yeah, we'll get back to you. And then they're like, but you <laughs> just see the whole thing. And I was like, sure. Um, so all, baby. Let me see those orcs. Got the DM back that says you want to see the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, you know, they are from the sound of it, like still putting the tracks down as they are barreling towards launch. And so they were like, yeah, we got the final touches on that. It's if you want to see the whole thing. Um, talk to some of our devs about it. We can put we can get that together. So there's a story over on Kotaku now. This uh, title is uh, Baldur's Gate Three aims for RPG fans' ultimate character creator. And um, 
I, I'm a, I'm of a few minds about it because I mean, and this is what we're going to be talking about throughout is like what makes a good character creator, and I think like their vision of what makes a good character creator might be different than say Capcom's definition of it when they made Street Fighter Sixes, um, because they're sort of Initial philosophy, as they described it to me, is they wanted to make a tool that they could use before they cared really about how it was going to factor into what people played, because it was a, a tool for them to make the characters in the game. So I think, as as far as I understand it, all the characters in Baldur's Gate three are at least like made using assets from that, other than like say like the uh, the you know the, like the party members, like the created like characters that are meant to look very distinct compared to everybody else. So like the the basic NPCs are kind of uh, off that. So you have kind of like your your origin characters or like mm-hmm. really important name characters and stuff like that. But then anyone who's kind of just wandering around the city of Baldur's Gate or whatever is going to be like right. generated from that engine. Okay, right. Like using all those assets and mm-hmm. various combinations of it. Um, and so like the interesting thing to me is like when you made when they made it with that in mind the thing that sticks out to me, like, cause there was a point where they just like randomized, like repeatedly just like showed me different possible characters this thing could create. And it just like stuck out to me that every character looks like very crafted and like very much like not, cause I mean, like you look back at like other games with like created characters like when it has like you know, sliders and stuff, a lot of those, like I, to, to me, like maybe because I've played those games so much, like it, Commander Shepard looks very, like or a custom Commander Shepard looks very distinctly, different compared to like ashley or Caden or liara like in terms of mm. like the fidelity of how they are animated and like the way that they look and i think that was something they kind of explained that they wanted to avoid with the custom characters you make by having like this very crafted way that you build your character like you're always building from assets that they have actually like meticulously designed you know granted like, you can change your you know the colors of things but in terms of like the structures of your character's face and body, everything has been kind of like handcrafted so it can be like out of things that they used for other characters in the game. So there's this kind of like universal quality to every character that I saw made with that thing. Did that feel a little homogenous too i guess like my my concern would be that it, so, if everybody kind of looks really really I, I know this this sounds ironic like if everybody looks too good but like the arcanine complex there there is a level of i think maybe the first thing that comes to mind is is fortnite and the way a lot of fortnite characters look very similar because mm-hmm. they even though they are distinctly different characters when they get put into fortnite they sort of adhere to the fortnite house style in a way so you have characters mm-hmm. that are like ryu or guile who do look enough like Ryu or Guile that you do recognize them, but they also look very Fortnite-y because they have to adhere to that mm. style. Is there that sense, or do you yeah, still feel yeah. like you can make like a very visually distinct character? So I, I based on what I saw, and like again, like there was a point where like they just for like a solid like five minutes just hit the randomize button repeatedly, and I never saw any two characters that looked the same or felt the same in that way. Mm. But I do imagine that like in the way that most games have custom character creators like I, I think there will be a point like when the game comes out that you'll see characters that end up or players that have made characters that look very similar because i think it's like one of those um what, what's that saying like monkey like you give a monkey a typewriter and oh, you give enough monkeys time. a typewriter and they'll they'll write hamlet yeah it or, was the best the, of times it was the write, worst of times <laughs> stupid monkey <laughs> so my assumption is that like eventually like, when these tools are in the hands of as many people as i presume will play this game we'll see characters that kind of do end up looking a lot, a lot of the same because like, especially when there aren't sliders, because that's where you get like the weirdest 
shit is when people can just like make their nose like the size of the rest of their head or some mm-hmm. some nonsense. Um, oh, so shit posters. Yeah, I, I think in that way, I, I understand like the philosophy that they they have in mind in terms of they want characters to not look like shit, even if it's like mm-hmm. even if that's like a joke or a gag for somebody. Um, and I think, like, to whatever, to, to their credit, I think that they have succeeded in that, at least. Um, I do think, like, even in, in early access now, like, I, I did feel, like, fairly limited. Because, like, I mean, I'm a person that, like, to make a character that looks generally like me. Um, and I can't really get that. I mean, like, granted, like, I'm I'm a, I'm a white guy with no hair and a beard. So, like, in terms of the things that I need, like, in terms of the tools that I need, like, I don't really necessarily need that much. Even if, like, the facial structure just doesn't really look like me. Mm. Um so I, I get why people might be upset by the ideas that, like, like, you know, the sort of ideas that they have that this is the point of a better way to do it. Um, I, I just think like, I, I kind of, I kind of get it because their line of thinking, at least of like wanting the game to not look like shit mm-hmm. kind of just, I get it. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because where Larian sits is I, a lot of people talk about Baldur's Gate three and they talk about the history of, of RPGs. And obviously it's got a legacy from Baldur's Gate one and two, but it's also got a legacy from divinity one and two um, original sin. I should specify. Um, and those games, I remember when I talked to people about DOS two specifically, they'd always be like, Oh, play an origin character. Like, like don't, don't bother with the custom character stuff, play origin characters. And that's specifically, I think also because of the way, story is handled mechanically like you don't get some of those origin character stories if you don't have them in your party and so it's better to do that versus the custom character who doesn't really get anything in that situation um but it does feel like something about Baldur's Gate 3 and and maybe the the leak over of Bioware into this both you know Bioware fans who want something like this Bioware's influence from the Baldur's Gate um era which even then in Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 you were playing kind of a not quite custom character it was like a kind of an avatar insert character is my understanding but um uh, it's interesting to see how people approach the whole custom character idea and that's kind of why I wanted to bring up this topic is I feel like we talk a lot about what makes a good or bad character creator and um with Baldur's Gate 3 we're seeing discussion but we've seen discussion around pretty much every other game that has had the ability to make a character in it from saints row to uh street fighter which has a weirdly good character creator um and so i'm curious i'm gonna bounce this off to ash like what to you makes for a good character creator so for me uh for it to be a good character creator it doesn't necessarily have to have like a lot of choices but it has to have a lot of diverse choices and I guess that doesn't really sound too different but I mean I don't want you know 350 different values for hair I Mm. want 200 uh or not even that much I want you know maybe 50 or 10 or whatever um like styles of hair but they represent a different like a robust or diverse cross-section of hair types. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily mean 
need a lot of choices. I just need for the choices that are there to be a good representation that can, you know, go across a much wider spectrum of people. So things that make a good character creator for me, they will have a lot of, um, hair options with like black textures. You'll have a lot of different, uh, skin color options or different, Hmm, what can I think of? Like maybe jewelry options or something like that. I just, I don't need, you know, to control every infinitesimal little bit about, you know, what my character looks like. I just need for the choices that are there to be more wide ranging. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, Nadia, what about you when you're making a character? Like what are the sort of options you look for in a character creator and what like makes for a good engine for that for you? First of all, I, I I don't want to play as a human. I'm a human is is great, <laughs> but sometimes it's like, you know what? I want to be a sparkly unicorn person. If you have the person. option to not be human, you'll go non-human. Oh, every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't matter. I almost never play as a human unless I'm absolutely forced into it. And when I look at a character creator and it has like a thousand humans, I'm like, <sighs> but if you're going to give me humans, at least give me uh, diverse body types and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Ash, I don't want to go and fiddle with with sliders like every single little pixel i am the kind of person who will see a bunch of presets and say okay which presets look good together like i was absolutely losing my mind over uh tears of the kingdom because it has so many great armor sets unfortunately you can't glamour them as far as i know but that was just like a good way to make link your link look distinctive and cool and if you can do what falcom does especially and gives you like these stupid accessories to really uh that kind of go across uh several games like the mishy plush and like kind of attach that to someone's arm or something that's great i love that but yeah i'm looking for uh, a good set of presets um i don't really care about the color of someone's eye scar when i'm actually faced with a lot of uh sliders i i feel kind of like overwhelmed mm-hmm. so i want to be off and on my way i mean just to give you an idea we talked about this with charlie and dropouts but my my cat boy who is now like very near and dear to my heart i just like hit like scramble and said hey cool here's a cat boy all right we're going out i kind of build up characters as Mm. as like they glom onto me it's hard for me to make a new character because i'm like i don't know this person's about yet yeah i mean on that on that note and this is actually one of the problems i think Baldur's gate 3's character has is that like it does not have diversity of body type um they specifically announced um during the panel of hell from hell thing that like they have sort of like a basically like short or tall like slim or bulky uh but the very like binary choice between or like i guess like four total body types um and you know that does not extend to like people that, like it does not extend to fat characters it does, not, it does not extend to like really really like skinny and funny people um because i think like it, the at the inverse of what you said Nadia, like i actually i am less interested i mean well i am less interested in like non-human characters if the options for just like humans aren't hitting that vast array of like the the body types of people that might be playing it. Cause like, I think like if you bare minimum can't get humans, right. I'm not really that concerned with your non-human characters. Um, so in that way, like, you know, it's very cool for me to see like, cause like they, they show me like all the variations of the dragonborn. And I was like, Oh, these all look incredible. Like all these different variations of, of this, reptilian race is like they're all very cool to see but they're still like for all the depth and sort of uh you know these forward-thinking ideas that they have um in Baldur's Gate 3 like there are still like these very clear blind spots in the way that it allows you to create a human character Mm. um 
that I would love to see maybe changed at one point, but um, it, from from the sound of it, like they are fairly set on how like what obviously like what they're launching with and like what they have in terms of feature pipeline. Like they're not adding any more races, and they they like explicitly told me they have no plans to add more races. Which like I don't have a lot of D and D experience. So, like there aren't like a lot of races that I'm like, oh, but where is X Y and Z? Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, it does I know seem like Jesse we was demanding the hippo people get in. The, there are hippo people. There, there are. Yeah, hippo that's news to me too. Yeah, I love that. I want them to excuse me. Baldur's Gate three, worst game of the year, zero to ten. <laughs> um yeah giant space pirate hippos is i think how he characterized them to us but uh gosh yeah i I think that with with Baldur's gate you have like a very interesting situation in that you are trying to basically replicate D &D, right and and D D is so often played in the realm of imagination in in like the theater of the mind i know like actual play and stuff like that and also being able to commission artwork and all that has really moved some of those ideas into like the realm of having actual art of your characters. But even then you you can create those things and you can create stand-ins. But when you get to the point where you're making a video game where this character model needs to operate and run on a certain level, like I, I wouldn't be surprised if I I don't want to speculate and put words in their mouths, but like, modding is probably going to mm-hmm. help some of this too because we've already seen a pretty substantive modding scene for the early access of Baldur's Gate 3 and I would be dumbfounded if it did not continue through to the main release. Um yeah. And that's not That'd always an weird. answer. That's not always a good answer, but Yeah, I'll be playing on console. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, that's that that's another thing entirely, but um it is it has been interesting to me over the years seeing how games like Skyrim or or other like very mod heavy games can actually get very good at letting you create characters that you want to create and get like very into details because they allow you to just add the things that the developers didn't or um think of the things that the developers never did and never got around to um but uh Nadia I want to hop back to something that you said about getting overwhelmed by seeing sliders and that was something I wanted to post to the room is like Ash, you had also mentioned something about diversity of options um, and and having a a diverse set of options versus like a large set of options. And is is that kind of what we want to look for is that we want decent variety in a character creator when it comes to that stuff? We want to be able because, you know, I feel like there's two kinds of character creation, right? There are uh, people who want to make a specific character and make them like the most realist thing that they can imagine from what spawns forth from their head, or they want to make a monster factory person (laughs) (laughs) and the sliders are especially really good for that latter part. But I feel like when we're making role-playing characters, we want that sort of ability to create something that feels very distinct and very us. And so do we want sliders? Do we want all those options? Can that be overwhelming? Can that be a bad thing? I, particularly don't like sliders i won't mess with them unless i know what i'm doing and i usually don't. yeah but i think there's a good case to be made that uh, a good character creator can combine both mm. um i don't like mass effect has sliders and it also has like discrete choices and it seems to work mm. pretty fine for me versus i think other games that don't do like sliders on like your brow depth or some kind of <laughs> weird phrenological uh, setting right. on your face 
pieces of my face that I didn't know existed until a video game was like, yo, you want to push and pull Here's on the this? anatomy. Yeah. yeah. Now you're yeah. a doctor. He studied it's, it. Exactly. Really, more character creators should be the the loading screen from Mario 64 where you just like tug on his face Hello. and like mm. yank his features around. That's that's way more. Uh, no, that's Monster Factory me. stuff right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that um, I, I remember something that Mike Williams mentioned that made me laugh. We were talking about Final Fantasy 14 and character creation at some point. Mike he mentioned Williams. <laughs> he mentioned, quote, the four black guy faces that you get in most uh, mm. mm-hmm. most uh rpgs so uh, i'm guessing a kind of a variation like more on that would probably be a good start more than four yeah mm. try five and <laughs> go for more which is why sliders are powerful so you yeah. can you know make your character with the features that you know you commonly see on you know your face and mm-hmm. sometimes you know i you can't trust um uh, uh like a developer to craft a correct face like i was playing like, exoprimal the other day and i was going through their character creator nothing really much to write home about but everybody else's faces looked fine and looked like appropriate to their race and gender but for some reason it didn't seem like the people at exoprimal knew what a black woman looked like so it looked Mm. like a like a smaller rounder version of like the male face and i'm like well this is upsetting (laughs) i tried tried, like going through the other faces to see if i like if i slap darker skin on them will it work and no it wouldn't work and i'm like "Mm, well this is hmm Okay, whatever, mm. sure. And I just kept playing. Thankfully, you know, most of you spend most of your time in third person, so you don't have to see your face. Yeah. But yeah, true. But yeah, still disappointing. Good case for sliders in that in that uh, instance. Yeah. Yeah, Exoprimal was weirdly a place where I feel like I opened it up, and number one, the idea that my character was largely only going to be in cutscenes at best. I was like, oh, so I really don't have to care too much about this because otherwise like the mechs are really what i'm creating at this point like i i care more about what my mech looks like because i'm never going to see my pilot in the field or anything if if i'm running around as a pilot on foot i've done something wrong (laughs) that's that's a larger problem (laughs) up against dinosaur Um, packs but that weirdly made me like ambivalent to the entire idea and and thinking back to like divinity original sin 2 uh, as much as you can make a custom character, you're playing that whole game from a top down isometric perspective. So is is there a level of the more the game shows you what you look like, the more you care about your appearance? Because I do feel like that's true for me, where in a game like Baldur's Gate or Mass Effect, where I'm going to be constantly seeing my character, I want them to look really good. I've even restarted Mass Effect runs just to get a character looking just right because you always have that classic looks good in the creator and then yeah. you hit the mm. first cutscene and you're like, oh, <laughs> oh God, he's clipping everywhere. Also um, known as the Dragon Age effect. Oh, God, Dragon does Age. Does that happen a lot in Dragon Age? I don't remember. Yeah, it uh, does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Amazing. With a lot of things, actually. Inquisition was weirdly, I remember spending time in that trying to get a character right and just having weird issues with it we're gonna give you the best approximation of that yeah yeah good luck um so i do i do like it when character creators offer the ability to see different lighting scenarios i know 14s does that where you can kind of turn on different lighting scenarios at different Mm -hmm. times of day and and also different garbs oh my gosh being able to see like oh yeah this hair is going to completely clip through all my dragoon armor (laughs) (laughs) um which you do just have to kind of end up being like i'm okay with this i guess at the end of the day you're you're not too hard at it in the cutscenes. 
Yeah. Oh no, my Oscar's hair has clipped through every set of dragoon armor I've received. It's it's been ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about character creators because Ken, I want to bounce back to you. You said before you are someone who typically likes to, uh, like our own Mike Williams, isekai yourself into various video mm-hmm. games. You like to to create a character that looks like you, and that you do kind of play from like a personal role playing. I'll say I don't want to say self insert, <laughs> but <laughs> a, a level of like you are playing a version of you in that game. Um, mm-hmm. And and so y- you said before, I, I feel like 14 is the prime example where you ran into difficulty with that game, trying to create a character that looked like you mm-hmm. because 14, for some reason has real issues trying to create beards for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but it just does not. The warrior of light must be baby faced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is, is that something that can like push you away from a game ultimately, like not having a character that, that looks like you in that game? Yeah. And, and again, that's like a very like stupid, that feels like a stupid thing to say as a white guy, because like I do not have it anywhere near as bad as, as a lot of other people do. Um, but yeah, and I think like, I think part of it is less appearance more than it is identity. Um, mm. because, and this is something I've been talked to Larry about is that like how, they tried to make appearance and identity completely like separate in terms of how you like it's it's as simple as like switching toggles and being like okay how's the game going to address you what do you mm-hmm. got between your legs you know like you you can you know pick and choose all the things and mix and match them in ways that allow you to be your most authentic self in whatever way that is again like that that to me is always more interesting than like trying to create these otherworldly kinds of characters and again like i i come from like a, a like a relative relatively privileged uh place in that regard because like generally like i can be a, a man in most games and it's not really a matter of um like you, you know like for me the distinction is like who can i romance like who can i like how can i make the world perceive like my preferences mm. in terms of like it not because like that, that was you know as we talked about through all, all of Normandy's like that was my biggest issue with Mass Effect was not that like I wasn't existing as myself as a man it was more like oh this game automatically assumes that I am inclined one way over the other and that's what that that to me is what makes Baldur's Gate 3's character creator a step above a lot of other recent things including like you know Cyberpunk 2077 for all like the fluidity that it kind of posits should be in that world like okay it still like ties beats pronouns to their voice as opposed mm. to mm-hmm. just like a toggle being like okay do you identify as male female mm. non-binary whatever where Baldur's Gate 3 okay like you pick your body your body shape your pronouns your genitals all independently of another and the game is still like because they, and they, they talk about but because they knew that was how they wanted the game to operate from the outset they were writing and recording lines around that idea and that to me just is like because I think a lot of, and I, and I talked to them about this as well, like I think a lot of these sort of uh, predictable pushback that we tend to get against, like, queer representation in character creators is like, oh, this is a resources issue. Like, oh, don't you can't expect the developer, you know, small indie developer, Electronic Arts to, uh, <laughs> you know, develop, to, to develop and write around these things. Um, and I think it's just like, it's something I'm really becoming more aware of is that, like, 
it's not that hard of a lift to have like really inclusive design in the way that you allow a, a player to present themselves in a game. I think you just have to have like the willingness to start doing it from the outset to like care about mm-hmm. how the the diverse spectrum of people that are going to be playing your game might want to represent themselves in something. And yeah, you know, you, you've got and I, and I like to, to like you know buy with credit. I think they they have they figured that out eventually. And I think like. When Fred Wolf comes out, I would not be surprised if that game has like non-binary options, and I, and I would not be surprised if it has like non-binary characters that you meet across the game that um you know come from like a d- different you know sort of in-universe experience and like portrayal of that. Um, so I think for me, because like again, like I when I say like I I want characters that look like me, it's less about like visually because like again, I am a white guy that like I'm never the person that is not like, you know, the person that's like cast aside in, that, in those conversations. But it huh. is, I think the reason that I care so much about having a character that looks and acts like me is because like a lot of the times I was not even given that. Um, because again, like I keep going back to Mass Effect and cause I think that's just, like the most prime example is that like it took three games for them to let you be a gay man in those games. I, I spent a lot of time online, like I guess pushing back against like, you know, again, like the most awful predictable homophobic bullshit online and being told that like, it was an inconvenience to make <laughs> characters that were like me. And so now I'm just like very aware that like, that's not actually the case. And it's just like, a, it's just like on the developers to care about doing that from the outset. Absolutely. I, I part of me does wonder if I, over the last few years, uh, I've been having these thoughts. I actually, weirdly enough, it all started with, uh, can you remember I was in New York <laughs> earlier this year and uh, we were hanging out with our pal, uh, Nerium. And they they suggested this idea that a lot of role playing games are moving back towards the tabletop, are moving back towards um, wanting to explore those ideas and the freedoms that the tabletop allowed. And that for a lot of the 360 era, we had a lot of stuff like Mass Effect that wanted to tell this really grand story that you could put a character in the middle of. But Commander Shepard is also kind of a pre-written character to some degree. You have some level of ability to shape your commander shepherd, but commander shepherd is always going to be a alliance marine a um their place in the world is very set from the outset their place in uh the ongoings of the story is very set and and you just get whatever ability to work within the bounds there that you have even dragon age i think dragon age origins was closer to that kind of like D D freedom and then dragon age 2 a game that i do like very much to be clear uh kind of flipped that and was like you're a hawk and and this is hawk's story and i feel like now we're seeing a lot of games especially like Baldur's gate 3 or even stuff like pillars of eternity um and a lot of other crpgs move towards back towards that idea of crpg freedom and tabletop style freedom and and that Mm -hmm. is part of it is like the ability to define an identity that's independent of the circumstances the story is placing on you the circumstances that mm. um the game is setting up for you uh because that is i i like your point about it's not just about having a character that looks like you but a character character that can inhabit the the role that you want to be in that mm. world and not have it be limited by the presets and toggles that you're flipping how did you feel like that affected your character maker in fallout 3 versus fallout 4 Fallout 3 versus Fallout 4? Yeah, Fallout 3 was like, okay, you're just a, a person in a tunnel. And Fallout 4, you're an actual person. 
with a life and oh, a wife and like, oh yeah a, a yeah husband. so fallout 4 you you do get made a, a canonical father slash yeah. mother at the beginning of the game which i always thought was an interesting choice so that so that was and like i agreed to for full transparency i did not finish fallout 4 because i don't i don't like those games um mm. but that was like immediately like i, I don't know that that would fly these days because i think like as developers are getting more aware of like well granted okay i say it wouldn't fly but like assassin's creed does the same bullshit and like those again oh like, my god the assassin's creed sort thing. of oh, they're sort man. of like predefined <laughs> actors but then like they again like they it's all there's always like this promise of choice and of of like customization of like role playing that like they like developers will sort of maybe like give you like a, a name or like then they'll let you go off and do your thing and do whatever you feel like and customize your character to look and act however you feel but it just feel like i think it's a it is a like I, it's a strength or a weakness of a developer i think like if how long they can maintain that through an entire game because i i think like that is clear to me like with assassin's creed it's like i i i i view that as a writing failure to that you spend an entire game like allowing a player to maybe be in a, in a queer relationship and then you don't have like the forward thought to be like oh right this is a series about bloodlines and uh you we have to actually reckon with the reality. Whoopsie doopsie. Yeah, and then, but then you, and then when they even like try and circumvent that with Valhalla, they did this weird thing where like, oh, you're actually playing as a woman the whole time, but it, because of, we did this weird virtual reality <laughs> bullshit, like you, you can perceive yourself as a man for the majority sure. of the game. I, um, you can play pretend. That's what they do in Valhalla? I, I didn't so, play okay. that Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, so let me. Spoilers uh, for Valhalla. Spoilers for a, three, for a three year old it. game. Yeah. So. <laughs> For those that don't know, the, the premise of Assassin's Creed is that like people go through a virtual reality machine to live the lives of people from the past using their DNA. Because of a bullshit Assassin's Creed lore. Well, hold on. It I I do want to stress that in the lore they tried to get around that. Like the story of Black Flag is them trying to come up with a way that they don't have to do the DNA stuff anymore. So they they wrote themselves an out and have not been using it to be yeah, clear. I didn't use it. So yeah. In in bullshit good. Assassin's Creed lore, the character of Ivor was a woman who was because of like how reincarnation works, or like the the like the basically like she is a descendant of Odin, actual Odin, and actual Odin who obviously was like was a man, and because like their DNA is intermingled, the the VR thing is like, oh we can't there are two like li- there are two streams of DNA here you can just focus on whichever one you want. And so you can play as a male Ivor, but technically, like, historically, Ivor was a woman. Which, one, just have an Assassin's Creed about a woman. God fucking forbid. <laughs> Two, I went through that entire game being like, okay, I am gay Viking, like, hell yeah. Uh, and slept with, like, literally every man that I could across <laughs> the entire game. And I was like, you know what, I don't think I like this game that much for all, because I don't, I don't fuck Ubisoft's entire open world stick. But I am just gonna be a hoe all across Assassin's Creed Valhalla. <laughs> Fuck you, be and soft and gonna be a hoe. Back and then of the you box get to school. the end of the game, and then it like the real not even to the end of the game, it's to the end of like the uh the the Norse mythology like plotline of it. Yeah, yeah. And then you find out, oh, the entire time I've always been a woman, and you've just been like focusing on 
Odin. So you perceive yourself to be Odin <laughs> the entire time. So sure. when you were sure. out having homosexual escapades, it was actually heterosexual ones and you just didn't know. <laughs> but you that were you were strange. thinking you were thinking that really hard about how, how gay it all was. You were thinking really hard. <laughs> I was. It was it was paramount to why I was playing the fucking game. I and it's like it like narratively there's like something interesting to that idea but then it's like why did you it just it just feels like a very like roundabout way to like try and like justify why you had a male and female protagonist and like made it canonical and did you need to canonize that in the first place right. like, like like was like you was anyone really concerned so yeah no one was cinema sins dinging that like <laughs> no, no one's going back there i think that's the the weird part about i know in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, um, like th- canonically, uh, Cassandra is supposed to be the one that mm-hmm. is the 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 assassin of that game. But they were just like, yeah, this is the one that we're going to use in the future. Like, if we have to refer back to it historically within the canon, it's that. But also, like, you can just play the story that you want to play. It's a role playing game. You can do what you want, or you go back to Origins, and they just had like uh, Bayek and. Why did I suddenly forget the other Aya? Bayek and Aya? Yeah, that um, sounds right. Yeah, you just had two distinct characters that you played. And really, you mostly played as Bayek. But you you, you had like two very distinct characters that you played as. And mm. I'm not surprised that they're going back to just having like you, you play right. as this character in Mirage. Like this is what you're doing. Yeah. But it, it was, you know, Ubisoft's weird turn into making role-playing games that did suddenly create all kinds of weird things that because because odyssey had the dlc where they were like oh well you've got to keep that bloodline going so your character now has to go have a kid mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh, oh but i guess you know to to kind of put a a, a final pin on this segment do we broadly like being able to create custom characters versus playing a preset character like is if you had that choice would you would you take the choice to make a custom character over a preset character yeah i, I think i like custom characters for this ken what about you because like I, I think i like to my favorite games and i feel like it's it's a pretty even split between the two but i do think like a lot oftentimes the experiences that resonate with me most are the ones where i feel like i have some sort of like means of representing myself within them Hmm. Um, or at least, or at least I, I could just, maybe I, just, I could get two very distinctly different things out of those. Um, cause like the thing I get out of Mass Effect is not the same thing I get out of The Last of Us. It's not like, um, it's not like I think The Last of Us would have been better if I like created a character that I like put in. Um, so I think I just get two very different things from them. I think in the long run, I get, I have more frustrations with games that have character creators because I, I often feel like those are the moments when I feel the least served by something like I, I feel like there are more like rakes for a developer to step on um because like if like say this next mass Effect game comes out i think if it like if it does a thing that completely undoes my playthrough of the series like i mean like why did i even get that invested why did i even mm. like feel like my presence in that universe actually like meant something um so i feel like there are for me i feel like there are greater heights that i reach through having created a character and existing in the world, but I also feel like there are a lot lower lows that tend to come through that experience. There are, I guess there's a lot more risk involved 
for me as a as a player, as a person that gets invested in stories in a way that is probably neurotic and needs to be like studied in a lab. Um, so <laughs> I, I guess like in the grand scheme of things, I am willing to take that risk, but it it is a risk every time that I do it that I'm going to run into something that it feels like I wasn't necessarily accounted for in the way that other people might be. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, Nani, you brought up Tears of the Kingdom, Breath of the Wild. I do feel like Link somehow finds this magical in-between for a lot of people that it, it's not like you have a creative character, but everybody does have the ways in which they like to create their own Link and <laughs> run around as their Link. Uh, I know I have specific garbs that I have like, this is what my Link runs around in. Looks fantastic while he saves Hyrule. I do like having a character creator to to role play. And I think yeah, another aspect of this that we, we talked a lot about uh, having a ton of options for for our own personal representation or representation of an idea. But there's even like with Baldur's Gate, I, I really like that there's so many abilities to play like a tiefling of different shapes, sizes, uh, origins, um, even just being able to style them differently, having all the different horns and stuff like being able to create a character that is so far removed from myself that it can just be this character that I have created and now get to like role play in in that traditional sense. Uh, We talked a lot about that on dropouts um, and, and kind of the way we made our characters. And that was a big thing for me with my Warrior of Light was wanting to make a character that was someone I could like remove from myself and then role play as rather than feel like I was playing an avatar of myself and an isekai version of myself. Mm. And so BG three actually looks really interesting to me because they're doing that thing with the dark urge where you can have an origin story while still having a custom character. And I'm actually really curious to see how that one ends up panning out and how popular it ends up being because that feels like an interesting compromise somewhere in between of what they want to do, where they have either custom character or origin character and maybe dark urge is this kind of idea that other RPGs can start to build on of maybe you start building out these storylines for characters to follow in an RPG and you can follow them while still having a character that is very much your own. And the stories can be developed in a way that lets them be sort of one size fits all while still giving you a very compelling narrative uh, that that feels crafted in the way that like a preset character would have. Uh, it's interesting. I feel like we're we're still breaking new ground in a lot of virtual role playing senses, and it's it's cool to see different studios grapple with it. So curious to see how it goes. We got like Ken said, there's Mass Effect and Dreadwolf up ahead and many other <laughs> games that I imagine I mean, Starfield. We I. I feel like we've seen some of Starfield's character creator, but I don't remember Have it very we? well. <laughs> I don't either. Um, I know they've talked about stuff yeah. like traits and, and, you know, very traditional, what I would associate with fallout and that sort of thing. Um, but I am curious to see what that Starfield character creator ends up looking like, even though that's a game that I will probably only play in first person. Uh, I think playing that game in third person looks weird. So, um, we will see. But if y'all have thoughts about character creators, you know, send them to us. Hang out in the Discord. We've got a mailbag option or, uh, I don't know, hit up Cat's DMs until they get rate limited by Twitter. <laughs> That's all for our main segment. And now we're going to head into a series of random encounters. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The World of Warcraft subreddit has tricked a website using AI to scrape posts into publishing a story about Glorbo, who does not exist. This, It's my favorite story. We love Glorbo. I think the changes are uh, mixed, but hopefully we can all come around to this new season of Glorbo as it is. Uh, Square Enix says the Final Fantasy 16 sales have been extremely strong. Microsoft and Activision Blizzard extend the deadline for their merger agreement. They will have to pay a lot more money if that goes through, but I imagine at this point it's it's looking pretty set in stone. Gundam Evolution is shutting down in November. A true loss for all of us Gundam heads here at Axe of the Blood God. I actually like Gundam Evolution, so this is a bummer. Uh, Blizzard gets a cold reaction for its first seasonal patch for Diablo 4 and it held a uh, campfire chat today, actually, uh, as of this recording, where they said, we don't plan on doing a patch like this ever again. Just a lot of balance stuff that people were very unhappy about. The, the, the weirdest one I saw was that they increased the amount of time it takes to teleport out of a dungeon. That's uh, dumb. OK, that's stupid. Like that is a very specific and strange change that i think uh the the prevailing sentiments i saw around this patch were everything felt like it got worse and there was not a clear reason why um that was kind of the prevailing sentiment fables narrative lead has left playground games and no clip has posted the infamous sony e3 2006 showcase in 1080p so you can see those giant massive enemy crabs and their weak points where you can hit them for massive damage that's fun to pull into the tavern kick our boots up a little bit grab a potion talk about what we've been playing and ash as one of our guests here we'll let you lead off what have you been playing lately that you want to talk about um i've been playing viewfinder and it's a lot of fun mm. oh okay <laughs> give give the top down pitch for this for those who don't know because i keep seeing this game i played a little bit of it at sgf and i am just enamored with the entire idea so do you remember when Portal came out and how everybody had their mind blown about how like innovative mm-hmm. the technology was with the portals and all that stuff? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is that for our, for not our generation, I guess Portal was also our generation, but for whatever generation there is now, it's that. The next. I, <laughs> it's, it's this really fun um, puzzle game where the idea is that you make your way through these courses by changing your perspective with like different pictures or uh, like you use a camera to like take pictures that just like change 
your like field of view and then you can like walk through these pictures and like progress through the puzzles it's really hard to like explain but once you see Mm. it it like it makes total sense like oh okay yeah you know how like when you have those like visual illusions where things appear way taller than what they are and then you change and then it's like oh it's normal sized it's like that but imagine like you like there's a gap in front of you or something and you can't like traverse it but if you hold up a picture with a bridge in front of you then that bridge becomes real and you can walk across so you can get to the other side it's that it like completely rewires your brain and it Mm. feels to me like what portal felt all those years ago like this game hopefully will have the same impact portal did and it's like this massive like shift in understanding like physics puzzles and things like that it's really Mm. good I, i recommend you try it it's it's really interesting to me because part of the magic, I think, is like what you said. You you take a picture and you hold it up. You hold up like this Polaroid of a bridge and you, you just like kind of almost let go of it. And then you, you start to walk around and now the bridge exists in real life and you can walk across and it does some cool things with that forced perspective. But the other part that wilded me out when I was at uh, SGF was you get a camera. And so at first I was like, okay, so you have a set picture. And so you have this kind of like in, in any given level, you have like an idea of what sort of things you could do with said picture, where you could place it, that sort of thing. And you, and you have a lot of freedom over where you can place things. It's not like you're kind of lining up and just like hitting go. It's like, you just put it where you put it. Um, but once you have the camera, you can take pictures of anything and start putting those things everywhere. And there was one level I did where I was, taking this segment of a building and just constantly taking pictures of it and then placing them and then taking pictures of it and then placing them and building a bridge out of a tiny piece of building that got across this massive gap. And does it feel like the game kind of carries that through that there's a lot of that freedom? Yeah. And they switch it up. Um, like different areas have like different themes to the puzzles. And overall, another thing that makes it like portal is that there's this darker story that's going on, but you kind of don't really, you only get like brief glimpses of that. So I'm, I'm, it, it feels like portal 2.0 and I'm excited for more people Mm. to get their hands on it. It It looks incredible. Like I've never, like I haven't spent too much time with like, I see gifts of it on Twitter and I'm like, that looks fucking dope. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, found this game like years ago and I saw Mm. that they did this like proof of concept gif where you have the picture up and then you can walk through the picture and I immediately Mm. like faved their their Twitter account and got like notifications for whenever they tweeted because I wanted to know the minute that this game came out Mm -hmm. and and I've Mm -hmm. had this notification on for years now because when I first saw it it was like this is special this is revolutionary I cannot wait Mm. to play this and I'm actually kind of sad that more people haven't like jumped in on it it came out just this week i i was surprised i feel like maybe it's just a case of their high profile releases that people are kind Mm -hmm. of paying attention to right now like a diablo season just hit Baldur's gate seems to be like all anybody really wants to talk about myself included um and everyone seems to kind of be like in a holding pattern almost um but that's like the perfect time to check out something like this because my understanding is that it's also like not really long it's it, right. it seems like it's a pretty like breezy game. All thing we play RPGs, so what does breezy mean to us? You know, but <laughs> um, it seems like it's a pretty reasonable game to kind of like pick up and put down. Yeah, 
Very much yeah, so. For sure. It's, it's the kind of game I like to play before a big release. Like before mm. Zelda came out, mm. I always played something like I played Night in the Woods before I got Breath of the Wild, and I just thought oh. that was a great yeah. combination. Yeah. Yeah. The taste. That's an interesting yeah. double feature. It was. That, it was great. I never forgot it. We should do like a, a show or a segment about that sometime. Like what's the weirdest double features of games you could possibly concoct? What's, what's the what's the Barbenheimer? Of yeah, the, 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 bar- the Barbenheimer. The Barbenheimer. <laughs> well, we, we, we know what the Barbenheimer is. That's Animal Crossing and Doom Eternal. That, mm, so that's true. true. Yeah, so true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, Ken, what have you been playing? So I didn't have like a good answer for this uh, because all I'm playing right now is Overwatch because I'm brain sick. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I'm also playing something... A, a a role playing game that would be interesting for the conversation we just had, but um, not Baldur's Gate. Uh, so I, the only other thing that I'm playing that I haven't talked to anybody about really is Pokemon Sleep. I don't know if any of y'all are using it. You have been not Pokemon sleeping, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm apprehensive. The the thing about it that's like uh, that I'm coming to terms with, and is that like I don't think I'm the target audience for this even though i should be because i am an insomniac who will buy anything that has a little yellow guy on it um (laughs) but as a sleep tracker it feels like there's too much going on for like Mm. what i as a person who does not need like incentive to try and sleep Mm. um right it's like because like i i okay i wake up (laughs) and after i've been gamify sleep (laughs) right so i'll get my 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 nightly four hours and then Mm -hmm, i'll wake mm -hmm. up and i'll be like okay i'm awake now and then after that okay it it like logs your time it tells you like which of the three stages of sleep i don't i think they're actually supposed to be more than three but as far as like the 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 app cares it's got three stages um yeah you have charmander charmeleon and charizard sleep yeah yeah. (laughs) what's Um, the sleep apnea so last (laughs) toys it tells you all that and then it's got like five other fucking things that it asks you to do related to actually the Pokemon that are there. Cause like you gotta, you gotta check in with your Snorlax, who is like your centerpiece of every time that you go to sleep, mm. who brings in other Pokemon that you like collect and document. And then you feed each of them like fucking biscuits or some shit. And then it's like, okay, we have documented all these Pokemon that you've seen. Um, and here's, here's how many points you get. Like it gives you some ridiculous inconceivable number for points like you get like eight hundred thousand, and i'm like that that number is meaningless to me you scale that down to like a hundred point scale so i have some sense of what any of that means and then you do all this documentation and then it's like all right come back in you know 18 hours or something it lets you do up to two to two two like sleep tracking throughout the day so like what we ended up posting about it today. Kotaku was like, we Can ended up sleep filing twice. it. <laughs> we, we filed it as a tip of like, take a 90 minute nap to like really grind those numbers up. We don't rise and grind. We, we Finally, a game for me. Yeah. Um, we and lay so, and play, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know. And so like, it's got, so I, I have come to the conclusion and, I, and granted, I'm, I'm, I ordered the, uh, the Pokemon Go plus plus thing that you like lay on your bed so you can like do more shit with it. And so I'm going to try that and see what it does. But the conclusion that I am coming to right now is that Pokemon is like a lifestyle brand these days. And, you know, mm-hmm. like I've, I've got a, like a expensive fucking wallet. Like you can't see it because I don't have the light on right now. But there's a, it, like I spent like $250 on that Pikachu skateboard. Like there's all this shit in this brand now that is supposed to like feel ubiquitous in that like things are made for children, but they are also made for adults. Like there's this 
large audience for Pokemon now. Yeah. And you would think a lifestyle app like a sleep tracker would be for everyone in that audience. This feels only made for kids who need like an, who need incentive to go to fucking sleep. I don't need incentive to go to sleep. I need time to go to sleep. I need mm-hmm. my brain to actually shut off. And so I'm just like this. This is cute. I I don't usually need like an excuse to do something Pokemon related. Um, so I'm gonna go enjoy Pokemon in my waking hours because it feels like it's actually serving me. Or this just feels like okay, I spent another 15 minutes after I've woken up distracted by something else instead of doing all the fucking hundred other things I got to do. Did Pokemon Smile ever come out, or the the, yeah, the brushing out. Yeah. that's out? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I was gonna say this is not the first time that Pokemon has has done a lifestyle app. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and you could even argue that Pokemon Go, in some ways, sure. veers into lifestyle territory, and so that's really interesting. And they've always done like they had the 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 walking meters and stuff like that, where you hatch Those the eggs great. with it yeah. and, and all that. Yeah, it's they they've been doing this for for ages, but. Uh, sleep tracking in general is something that perturbs me to my bone because it is I your single I am, bone. Yeah, yeah, no, no my, one my, bone. My, my, uni, my unibone <laughs> that I have, <laughs> just one. Um, it is it's something that like I am handing the Pokemon company information about when i am asleep and i know that is not like <laughs> so big i'm not Pikachu saying after you that i'm afraid that like masuda is gonna rob me or something but <laughs> this is the, oh my god you put a conspiracy in my head eric yeah but but i'm now sitting here like a big company knows everything about me and like i'm i'm already a pokemon mark ken you were talking about the skateboard i myself have an umbreon skateboard just out of you uh you can see behind me on on a table littered with different pokemon etbs for the the trading card game and stuff we are all marks for pokemon in our own way but there's something about letting them know when i sleep that i'm like that is <laughs> beyond the beyonds yeah like what what is next is is the pokemon dating app next is are, are pokemon we doing take a crap poke grinder is this like you, you pick your like canon six and then match with other people based on ken i know well, i'm like just making, selling you on this app like, like, you're, you're making an app for me <laughs> see like okay so my my feeling on that is like okay there's a larger i don't want to say conspiracy because i think like it is a founded conversation is it like there's a lot of shit happening in pokemon go right now about them doing cl- things that are clearly meant to get people back to play in the game as intended which is to like mm-hmm. walk around and go and do shit and there's a lot of people that assume that like and this is happening at the expense of like people that l- that live in rural areas where people disabled that like aren't getting much out of the game without those tools um and sort of like the conversation people are having they assume that is so niantic can get like map data that they can sell to other companies mm. my my question is like a, and this might just be be me being like ignorant what does the company hope to gain out of knowing when we sleep or how long we sleep like, what is the what is the end goal of that? Um, Just to have the data, use it for something else down the road. Us. They don't have an idea yeah. immediately. Well, yeah. So realistically, mm-hmm. it's so you know maybe they have information just about. I, I mean, look, you want me to get real cynical? Maybe it's information that they don't care about, but they could sell it to somebody who does care sell about it. Insurance right? companies. Yeah. Um, and not that I, th- this is not me alleging that the Pokemon company yeah, is yeah. selling our data, but it is just we we live in a day and age where like data gathering is mm. the thing right it's like we all industry in and of itself yeah um 
I was weirdly enough rewatching the West Wing a while ago. And there was a line that they had in this Sorkin ass show where one of the characters they're talking about nominating a new Supreme Court justice and they're like data privacy and, and personal identity is going to be like the the topic du jour for the next decade. We need to choose someone based on this. This is important. And I was sitting there. I was like, they wrote this back in like West Wing days and it is so pertinent now. <laughs> it is yeah. incredibly accurate now. Um, and in much worse ways than I think West Wing was able to predict. But uh, yeah, it's I, I don't think Pokemon Sleep is nefarious. I'm just like I, I don't know that I need more pieces of my life being tracked. But mm. I don't know. I kind of know where you're coming from. Like for me, it's like I uh, I might try sleep. It'd be interesting because I I don't <laughs> I really might need try to. sleeping. I, I... <laughs> I might consider being unconscious. <laughs> Dabble in it. <laughs> Dabble in sleep. <laughs> I'm a casual sleeper. I'm not really ready, no, I'm ready for competitive I'm definitely sleeping. A heavy I'm climbing sleeper. that ladder. <laughs> I'm a. I'm like the heaviest ass sleep. Like I just like I'm supposed to wear a, a CPAP mask because like mm. I had mm, a mm. Um, sleep study done actually just by chance. I had fibromyalgia. They said okay, well, we'll do sleep study too because you know quality of sleep affects how you um, heal. And it's like well, that's what healthcare gets you, I suppose. So I did the sleep study and they found out like, wow, you are actually severely, severely like sleep. You have sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, so I wear my mask every night. If I have to remember to put it on because I'll fall asleep almost as soon as my head hits the pillow. So it's like, how would I'm wondering like, okay, I'd put I'd have a set a Pokemon sleep session where I'm wearing the mask. Everything's normal, sort of. What would happen if I like had one without my mask? Like I during my sleep study, Mm -hmm. I woke up like 64 times nintendo 64 Jesus. times oh, so i just want to like really make the pokemon freak out and <laughs> see what happens <laughs> like not, not a single pokemon shows up the next day oh wow <laughs> they're all too depressed Snor- snorlax it's, is like yo, sitting at a table like at a chair like we need to talk about to what talk. happened last to- night <laughs> yo there are like, people like again we ran like, not to keep plugging the fucking website but like we, we ran a story about how like because there's a point where when like when you wake up like it has like recordings of different points throughout the night um and so like, i listen to it and i'm like it's just like me tossing and turning like i i have been told that i snore but like I, they have not a pokemon sleep is not fucking recorded at once but there are people that like there are embarrassing fucking sound bites in the pokemon sleep servers now i'm sorry to anyone who like talks or farts in their sleep could not be me oh R-I-P. wait it record like it, it live it bites fart? when you wake up Does pokemon say fart yeah, I mean, basically, Pokemon says fart. Wait, no, hold oh, on. Oh no, 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 hold on. Oh, I got confused. No, no, like as far as oh, like, as far as I know, it does not say. Like it doesn't really say what it is. It just has like these a lot of time slots of like we record oh, like oh. this four second clip, and then you just go through, and like half the time it's just me like, like you know, mm-hmm. shuffling around, around, and um, but yeah, people are like finding like they'll wake up and like oh i apparently shit myself every fucking night <laughs> oh, God. And now, now i gotta now, now pikachu saw that and he heard that <laughs> pikachu knows i shit myself like, you, you want to know what the, you want to know what you saw it that, that's that's where the shocked pikachu meme comes from he just like witnessed somebody shit <laughs> pikachu's like i hate this new gig well why do i keep getting grimer for my pokemon it's terrible <laughs> good grief grime her and wheezing uh nadia please pull us out of this pokemon hole what have you been playing <laughs> you just said pokemon hole now I'm, uh, never mind uh <laughs> i roll i rolled credits on tears of the kingdom finally Woo! two months later 
Yo. What what a credits roll on that game. What a credits roll. What, a, what a final battle. Like, just mm. insane. Everything is incredible. I love that game so much. Definitely my game of the year so far. I mean, I adore Octopath Travel, too, but this is just, like, way above it, which is just... I had no idea how good it was going to be. And I know I sound like a simp mm-hmm. when I say that, but mm-hmm. I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to uh, what was going on. because I didn't, like, scour for information about the game because I realized, okay, Nintendo wants us to be surprised. Hmm. clearly mm-hmm. and they have the privilege actually to ha- to do this because they know everyone's gonna buy tears of the kingdom so they could just not say anything and get everyone hyped they're like hey everyone we're going to the sky like yay the sky not a word about the depths and i'm so impressed mm. about that just and that was where i spent most of my time like i think beyond maybe two light routes i i mapped all the depths so cool mm-hmm. but i'm also mm-hmm. playing uh might and magic clash of heroes yeah, yeah, the, so good. the HD remaster of that. So it's it's yes. it's a good version of that. It is definitely. Uh, go ahead. It's a little small. Like the text is small on the handheld switch, but a, I haven't really after the options yet, so that might be able to be changed. Uh, but yeah, it's a great puzzle game slash RPG slash action game. There's really nothing like it. Uh, the original was by Capybara. I think they assisted in this as well, and I think Dot Emu was publishing it. It was originally published by Ubisoft. So yeah, I would absolutely recommend it. One of my all-time favorite games. I originally played it on the DS. It was one of those games where I was sent to it back when I was the guide to the Mm -hmm. about.com DS section. And so people would send me games review all the time. That was one of the games where I'm like, well, I don't really know a whole lot about Might and Magic, but whatever, this looks kind of fun and anime, uh, so that must mean it's okay. And yeah, I just like, wow, I'm not great at this game. I'm not a strategic thinker. It's one of those games where you have to slow down and think about the move you're going to make, and I'm not good at that, but... They make it so fun that I, I just can't resist trying. I absolutely like I give it my highest recommendation if anyone out there wants to have a really good puzzle slash action game. Like it's nothing really nothing like, but it's very satisfying to play. We're we're really in an era of the Nintendo DS gems getting their due because Layton's got a new game on the way. Uh, yeah. we just got a ghost trick remaster that I still need to get around to playing. Really uh, good for that too. Yeah, we got yeah. Might and Magic. Uh all I'm saying is Atlas Devil Survivor. Come on. Like Atlas, come on. Uh, well, what are we, we doing we're here? We're looking at our Pantheon right now. We're doing uh, Strange Journey. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Strange Journey Redux is great too. I'll take that. I don't care. Yeah. Oh. Now I I've been holding off on my Strange Journey takes just because uh I want to save it all for the Pantheon, but I have been enjoying that quite a bit. And that segues well into what I've been playing this week, which is Demon Lord Reincarnation, which was a game that I just kind of saw drifting around on Twitter and jumped into and i think the best way i can describe this is like wizardry with very kentaro mira inspired uh art um it has like like what if uh kentaro mira worked on an ms dos game and used that sort of like you know one one bit dithering sort of thing very um if you've played world of horror it, it had a very similar art style to it you basically play a group of adventurers who are going down. Uh, the demon Lord was killed a long time ago, was buried, and they built a maze up over the top of the demon Lord uh, over his crypt. And there have been signs that the demon Lord is going to be resurrected. And you play as a band of adventurers that is venturing down into the maze through all the monsters and stuff that have come to inhabit it to try and punch that demon Lord in the mouth before he gets out of his grave. <laughs> and <laughs> back down you go. Boop, boop, um, boop. It's it's really it's really interesting because it has a cool mix of ideas. Number one, it's like uh, a first person dungeon crawler that doesn't give you an auto mapper. So it's very much like you have to pay attention to your surroundings or maybe 
graph it yourself uh, if you would so desire. Um, it's also very, very punishing because uh, your characters just die super easy. Uh, but it's it's about learning to deal with that failure, uh, coming back from a really bad fight where a butcher just walloped through your entire party and killed your prince and your Valkyrie and being like, OK, go back to the campfire, recruit some new recruits don't tell them about what just happened to the other two <laughs> it's gonna, gonna be fine i'm gonna have fun yeah head down into the dungeon and then oh you you go into a couple random battles and in one of them it's like the reanimated corpse of sigrid your former companion is now a zombie and is attacking you and she's got all the same abilities and stuff that she had when she died in the dungeon uh, and it's it's got a lot of really cool moments like that it also uses a saga tile uh style system for its uh abilities so like every time you use a skill your character has a chance to have a spark of inspiration and come up with a new ability oh to use. god uh they can range in what they do a lot of them are very uh conditionals like bashing somebody to stun them or tripping them to make them lose their turn or uh, a personal favorite for some reason all the slimes know how to explicitly it says this in the text bitch slap all the slimes can bitch slap and um like this this can potentially confuse you which it certainly confused me when it happens <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair. uh it's well, understandable it, yeah yeah um but it's just a really really cool interesting game that uh comes from a developer named the grave robber foundation who has done a lot of these first person dungeon crawlers seems very committed to the style <laughs> committed to the bit and um yeah, I was seeing them tweet about like, it's weird how this game has blown up for them when it's probably one of their smaller projects that they've worked on. But it's I think it's a a project that just oozes a lot of like confidence in in that they know what they're doing. They can create a very good one of these. And it, it just has a really good idea, really good style, really good everything that just reinforces a really solid gameplay foundation. And it's also like seven bucks. So all that combines for like, if you're into dungeon crawlers, this definitely seems like it should be on your radar uh, as well as the other stuff. The grave robber foundation has made. It seems like a really cool one of those. I was also dabbling in stonks 9,800, which was a different kind of throwback game, which is just an eighties Japanese stock market simulator. That looks like it was a lost PC 98 game. Oh, beautiful. Um, it's it, it even has all the music and the style and just everything about it. And uh, we were playing it in a discord call and I heeded some bad advice from uh, discord friends and we wound up in jail for insider trading within like the first six months. <laughs> uh, but it's it, it's really cool. I, I bring this up because I was lamenting uh, a little bit earlier uh, this year that we've had a lot of really cool triple a games. It feels like this year is going to be remembered as a banger for the big games, right? Your, your tears of the kingdom, your final fantasy, your street fighter, your everything like all the triple a's really feel like they're just firing on all kinds of different cylinders this year. Uh, and I, I hadn't felt like we'd had that moment of a citizen sleeper or a neon white, like something that really surprises me. And it feels like we're we're getting that now. Like we have a lot of cool indies that are coming out of nowhere. Um, you know, I, I say out of nowhere, like Viewfinder, I think is an Annapurna game. I'm double checking that as I say that, but sounds like it could be. Um, it's Viewfinder is oh Thunderful. Thunderful, yeah. Oh, there you go. Oh, I love Thunderful. I, I love uh, Steam I World. So I would have so guessed Annapurna. That that felt like what are y'all doing? How'd y'all miss that one? <laughs> um, but, you know, there are different even tiers of indie publishing and stuff like that. So 
but it, my point is that it feels like we're not just getting a bunch of really big good games but also getting a lot of really interesting diverse ideas of games and those are the ones i tend to like gravitate towards and i'm glad we're we're getting those because i'm sure diablo is great and all that but oh my god i'm watching the the viewfinder thing and i can't now because it's starting to break my brain Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i i am not really keen on playing another third person prestige action game what have you um, I'm getting very tired of AAA games, as I've expressed on this pod before, and it's very exciting to see all these these indie efforts come out and be so interesting and be so cool. So, shout out to the indies. That'll do it for the tavern. Let's talk a little bit about the summer of Korra. So, Nadia, we've done it. We have wrapped book three. We've done it. We did it. Uh, before we get started with that, Ken, what is your experience with Avatar? And I guess specifically Korra, because you have been on here before while we've been talking about Avatar. But I, I believe you have not seen any Korra. Is that accurate? Uh, I've not seen any Korra. I just know it gets real gay at the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It that, does. That is, that is the extent of my knowledge on Korra. Mm-hmm. It is late game. Late and, game oh, hold on. And, and that everyone like... Obviously, that it takes place later, and Ang is a hot dad by the end of that show, right? Right? Is or I guess at the beginning of that show is he I mean, a hot dad? He's I he's a dead he dad, was. not a hot dad. Well, you can be hot and dead. That's true. Is I don't know. This is this is our new our new question. Is Ang hot in in Legend of Korra? Hmm. I don't think uh, I've ever seen my, I've my recollection of him was that he was. Okay, hold on. I'm I'm putting an image in the uh in the chat so we can properly uh discuss this. Tenzin. Tenzin. Tenzin's yeah, different. I don't know who Tenzin is. Tenzin is uh Aang's son who plays a pretty oh, major is role. He a Ooh. hot dad. Oh yes. Yeah. Okay, so so this first image up is is Aang. This is old Aang. He looks distinguished. Look at him. Uh wise eyes. He does have nice wise eyes. And then uh second image here is gonna be Tenzin, who is Aang's son and plays like a mentor role to to Korra throughout the series. Ooh. Neither of them are hot. Sorry. Mm. Oh, come on. But they're vo- <laughs> but uh Tenzin's voiced by J.K. Simmons, which Tenzin is, is voiced by J.K. Simmons. Which J.K. Simmons like, we gotta tight. represent the bald bearded kings. Sorry. Wait, J.K. Simmons <laughs> is what? He's tainted for Wait, me. What? I'm he's uh, tainted? Watching, yeah, I'm watching Oz right now, so uh he's oh. tainted. Oh, oh okay. okay. That's fair. That's fair. My, my J.K. Simmons love comes from Whiplash and Korra and um, Spider-Man. <laughs> it comes from Gravity Falls and Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. God, he's such a good voice actor. He's a really good voice actor. He's really great. He's great. Great range. Um, Ash, experience with Korra. I've seen like maybe the first handful of episodes of the first season and that's it all i know is that it's supposed to get really cool but they turned off into a cop and it gets gay at the end that's mm. all i know <laughs> they they do turn Toph into a cop in a way that is I, I think it ends up being interesting and also like somehow Toph remains cool in spite we of haven't that seen her like uh i think she's she's only we haven't seen i, her I do the i do like the revelation we had that that Toph. uh canonically had multiple men with which she was having kids all around Republic city during her nice. copness. Um, shout outs to top. What but a in- whiplash of a fucking sentence. 
I know, right? She did. She had two kids by two uh, two different guys. And I was saying, when that first revealed, I was saying when I was a kid, that is not something you would see on the television. Like, unmarried mm. couples, never, never, uh-uh. Nope, that was mm-hmm. a big no. Mm-hmm. And then it just started because, I mean, who cares? Toph's just got different dads all around town. So we have the last three episodes of book three here. Uh, as, you know, we, we have the whole thing with... Uh, after taking out the Earth Queen and uh, deciding that Zaheer is no longer going to to chase Korra, Zaheer is going to bring Korra to him. He takes all of the airbenders hostage, um, have really, really excellent fight scene with uh, yeah. Tenzin and the the Red Lotus crew, which honestly, so the whole season I've been alluding to the fact that like, Yes, Tenzin is or, or that Zaheer is naturally talented, but there is a point at which you see that there is like a massive gulf between him and an actual master airbender. And we get to see yeah. that in the fight with Tenzin where he is just clearly outmatched and it takes all of the Red Lotus to eventually bring Tenzin down and, and capture him. Yeah, I, I appreciated that because sometimes in Avatar and Korra, there is a bit of a power creep, not nearly as bad as Dragon Ball Z or something, but. Uh, it did, I did finally get that impression. Okay, uh, even though people have just kind of gotten really great at airbending, all of a sudden there's still the masters who can probably just rip you apart very mm-hmm. easily. Mm-hmm. Bending by itself is like pretty dangerous, but being able to like master that bending and control it is a completely different story. We have the excellent into the uh, into the void might be one of my favorite episodes overall because we have the great scene where Cora is going to go give herself up and they discover that there has been a whole trick we have in on one hand uh asami and mako and bolin are trying to escape with tenzin and they're running from the lava as they're running through that whole temple and bolin figures out he can lava bend but then we also have Korra and the crew fighting back at the, the airship uh the metal benders climbing up the side of the mountain and then like leaping up and attacking we have pali oh so we we get a death scene, a straight up death scene where uh, yeah. Su Yin bends the metal around Pali and her head explodes. <laughs> that was pre- I, I actually when that happened, I said, I feel like they cut something there. My husband looked it up and he said, no, it doesn't look like they cut anything, but they they could only have the implication. They, but- they do the cutaway to Zaheer's face pretty fast. Yeah. And then the the reveal that he's like oh, I understand now what it means to empty and become the void. And he just like falls off the cliff and yeah. starts flying. And it's oh, very, very good. And then obviously we have the finale where they try to poison Korra so that she dies in the Avatar state, um, destroying the cycle once again. And the whole Was fight. an established rule? Like if you get killed yes. in the Avatar. Oh, so it was. I just yeah, remember because that. they bring it up when Aang is first learning about that in Avatar The Last Airbender. They're like, if you die in the Avatar state, it like destroys the cycle because there was like a concern that that was going to happen in, in Last Airbender. They, they like specifically point that out that that's like the Avatar state is super overpowered, but you're also like at your weakest when you're in it. Right, right. Um, okay, I remember now. As the app. And we have that excellent, excellent just incredible fight scenes all across the board with Bolin and Mako. And when he electrocutes, uh, and, and when they bring down the entire cave system with the lava bending and, uh, Korra is like flying through the air and whipping that chain around when she grabs the ankle with the chain at the very end, uh, in the middle of the giant airbender tornado, I was just like, Oh, it's so good every time. And then we, we close on honestly, what might be 
one of the more somber and um, haunting notes of book three. Very Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, where uh, Jenora receives her tattoos and she has become an airbending master and the airbenders are going to take up the role of they're they're going to be nomadic, but they're going to serve as a global peacekeeping force, kind of a humanitarian aid force because Korra is completely poisoned and is unable uh, to even walk around or anything like that. And and the cut to her at the very end is that music is is building and everyone's cheering and clapping and you just see like the tear fall down her cheek is like, ooh, yeah, it, it haunts every single time. Um, yeah, things are kind of messed up. Yeah, we're, we're leaving our heroine in, in a place that is rough. And so Nadia, we're at the end of book three. What are your kind of general thoughts on this one as it as it holds up to the other Korra books? I think it has the best fight scenes out of mm. the entire series so far. Like it was just one after another with the the Warrior of Darkness airbenders. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to call them there for a second. The the Red Lotus, yeah. The Red yeah, Lotus. Those, thank I you. like yeah. the Warriors of Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> but like the um it's just like very original in terms of fight scenes, like the whole lava. Like, mm-hmm. I, of course, see heroes scrambling away from lava all the time, but to see it kind of chase them consciously uh, is kind of frightening. Uh, mm-hmm. It reminds me of in Elden Ring, there were these weird, big, huge orbs that would roll on the ground and they could find oh. you. They could chase you. Oh, yes. Yeah, I remember yeah. those. Those are yeah. cool. That, those terrified me. Like, you give me any monster in the game with 16 heads, I don't care for those orbs. Holy shit. So, that kind of thing, the idea of an inanimate horror like that chasing me like somehow is uh, always a little bit terrifying i really enjoyed it i think the 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 tear was a little cheesy but uh i guess they had to get it across that she's kind of screwed oh yeah that she's like screwed. completely messed up from everything that happened yeah yeah i do appreciate what they're building up there like the people are like oh it's okay we'll get by cora will get better and as someone who has many physical ailments that for partially genetics like no sometimes you just don't get better sometimes you do the best you can so that's a very hard thing to get over though or to accept so i'm curious to see like if she will have permanent limitations how they will affect her and where we go from here how the airbenders will do as a as a peacekeeping force i know that a lot of people love book three book four is probably my personal favorite of all the 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 books but book three is is very up there um probably my second favorite and i think it is because the red lotus are such a compelling enemy Uh, i think that is the one thing that avatar historically lacks because zuko is kind of an anomaly in that regard zuko is honestly the protagonist of avatar last airbender um i like ang but that is the zuko show um Hmm. and uh all the other actual villains of avatar the last airbender are all kind of one-off like villain of the week type characters or they're just like cartoonish stand-ins like ozai where again ozai is a compelling victim or a compelling (laughs) compelling villain in but only in the context of zuko and for ang he's just this cardboard cutout of villain and the main conflict with the avatar and the person the avatar is trying to fight never really feels like it comes to fruition because of that, even though the final fight between Ang and Zuko or Ang and Ozai was so good, I still think Zuko and Azula is the much better fight of that finale. Yeah, <laughs> personally. it's That's pretty oh, great. Yeah, clears easy. Yeah. Oh, mm, mm, I might go watch that again later. Yeah. Uh, but that is, I think, Korra solves that problem by not only like centering the Avatar as the the main character and having the Avatar have more 
honestly interesting things to overcome and deal with, but also having what is essentially the Warriors of Darkness, this this team of anti-Avatar characters that are trying to reset the world and even the way they fight, the way they move, the way they operate, the way they have interpersonal relationships, they do feel like an inverse of Team Avatar. Uh, Mm -hmm. And they are very compelling, I think, because of that. And book three really works for me because of that. It works for me because of the fight scenes. Obviously, we talked about I think this is just the studio absolutely just studio mirror nails it in the season uh, in a way that like really cemented their legacy, I think. And, and also like the way they think about bending Uh, Robo Riley in the chat pointed out that there's a, there's that one part where Tenzin's doing the air bending and he does that, like goes full 90 degrees and shoots air with his foot while he does it. And it's like the coolest, it it, it makes air bending look so cool. Uh, And I, I do think that that book three is really what put Cora over, even though this was for context, this was the season where Nickelodeon decided to start streaming this on. Oh, uh, really? On the Internet. And, and it became a whole thing that while you're watching live, it was like, where is Cora? When does it go up? How do we watch it? Um, it was very sudden that it was no longer on TV, but it was airing on Nickelodeon's app only. Oh. And. <laughs> Good times. I love streaming. Age of streaming, the best. Number one, A plus. Coincidentally, it was, um, yeah, it stopped airing on Nickelodeon after episode eight, which was not the episode where they kill the Earth Queen. A lot of people like to theorize that, like, once the show started killing characters, they moved it to the Internet. That doesn't exactly line up, but uh, it, it was this point where Korra was doing some of the best avatar stuff. I think that we have seen in that universe and it was all online in a place that was not being very advertised. I think it made it clear that Korra was like, like Korra was maybe a little ahead of its time in terms of being an adult oriented, not even young, like young adult oriented action show versus being a kid's show the way that I think avatar the last airbender is. We'll see that pan out a little bit. Also, I don't know if you noticed, but that was Zelda Williams. Uh, doing the voice of a certain metal bender in episode oh, really? 12. Uh, Kuvira gets named. Uh, she's also appeared uh, in previous episodes, but that was like yeah. they very specifically are like, thanks for the help, Kuvira. Uh, put a pin in that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. So it, I, I really, really like Cora. I think we're about to get into some really, really oh, just peak stuff that I'm so excited for. Uh, I'm interested to hear Kat Bailey's thoughts about this too. So we am I. W- she keeps missing out on these. Uh... On the finale. She keeps missing the yeah. finales. This is the second finale the cat has not been here for. And Come I'm on, starting cat. to think it's it's on purpose. You know, I'm starting to <laughs> starting to question the timing of all these conventions and such. Well, like, yeah, they, they knew San Diego Comic-Con said, oh, God, yeah. Eric is going to do an Avatar thing. Let's just screw it all up. Eric's, pull cat out of there. Eric's plan has finally come to fruition to make Cat Bailey watch The Legend of Korra <laughs> years in the making. Let's ruin it. Um, Yeah, let's mess with it. Also, shout outs to uh, to Henry Rollins as to here putting in really oh, good yeah. work. The weirdest. Str- when you look at the cast list for uh, The Legend of Korra, it is mind boggling at times because you have like Mindy Sterling, J.K. Simmons, uh, Anne Hesh, Henry Rollins, like just some names that you would not expect to be in children's animation just showing up and also putting in like a really really good performance lisa edelstein is in there very 
from from house <laughs> mm. plays a character i love all the the random cameos that happen in the show yeah that's pretty fun we will be starting book four next yes. week that's it for cora this week but before we go nadia why don't you take us home I'd like to say it was my birthday yesterday. It, Hooray! It, is your birthday, birthday the nostalgia bit? Happy birthday. <laughs> yes. Belated. Uh, well, not this birthday in particular, but my first birthday. Um, I just want to say that I was born two weeks, like, two weeks late. I'm very proud of that. And my mother was mm. induced twice, and I didn't come out. I'm very proud of that. She's very <laughs> Wait, angry what? at me. <laughs> oh, yeah, she was induced twice, and I stayed in there. <laughs> Why would I come out? Hey, everyone, who wants to come out first and start dying the first? Oh, me, 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 me. Why the hell would I do that? I wasn't yeah, stupid, no, apparently. There, I don't want to be there. <laughs> yeah. Nadia, like, nah, nah, nah. I've heard some stories. I'm good. <laughs> I know what goes on outside the womb. Yeah, I was, uh, I was actually born not during a thunderstorm, so I'm not storm born, unfortunately, but I was born on the day of a thunderstorm. And that's actually the nice thing about being born in the summer is you, you do get good thunderstorms on your birthday. Mm. Like mm-hmm. I got one yesterday, which is very nice. Uh, oh, and I was didn't walk until I was two years old because, again, I said, well, walking's overrated. Why would I start walking? Walking's for fools. I, I don't know when I, I don't know if I know when I learned how to walk. Huh? But my mom calls me every year and she's so mad at me. She's still mad at me. Because it was a really hot summer. They didn't have AC because it was 1980. Mm. Your, your mom and, still holds a grudge. <laughs> oh, she holds a grudge. And I gave her massive heartburn, if you can believe that, because my mm. hair was down to my shoulders when I was born, mm. which mm. is crazy. To, as soon as I turned 15, that shit was gone because like I, people kept trying to put ribbons in it. So I said, you know what? You want to play with this shit? No more. Gone. So, uh, yeah. It's been I'll- I was wondering how birthday was going to turn into nostalgia pit, but I should have known that the pit finds a way. <laughs> the pit has found a way since day one. Yeah. So oh. I, like that. I just like learning that she was induced twice and I still don't come out. That's great. Refused, That's classic. Adamantly refused. <laughs> Conscientious just... objector to the act of human life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, on, on that Well, now note, she has to pay bills. So like. Oh, really? yeah. Like, uh, mm. what was I doing? Rushing towards this? Rushing towards my taxes? Mm. Yay! <laughs> Maybe that's why labor hurts. So we hurt our mothers on the way out because we know mm. they're about, what we are about to have to experience, which is life. There is actually a line in the Super Mario Brothers Super Show Deke cartoon where Mario and Luigi are having, like, second thoughts about being a plumber and they're having trouble. And Mario was like, oh, I can't deny my heritage. I was born with a plunger in my hand. And Luigi says, yeah, it was really tough on mom. Now, I thought that was a great line for a kid's show. That's still my favorite line for a kid's show. That's a very good line. That that is the fingerprints line of the Super Mario show. Uh, It's a hot Animaniacs line for y'all. That is the end of our episode this week. Before we go, uh, Ash, where can the folks at home find you and all the lovely things you do on the internet? Um, You can find me. uh, I'm usually at The Verge, uh, theverge.com, or you can also find me on Twitter at at Astra, A-D-A-S-H-T-R-A. Usually where you can find me. (laughs) Ken, how about you? Uh, You can find me writing every day. Well, not this next week. I'm on vacation for the first time since I got here. Uh, You can find me 
mostly every day writing at Kotaku.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter at ShepardCDR. You can find me every other week with this fucking guy uh, doing Normandy FM, the bi-weekly retrospective video game podcast about whatever game we fucking feel like at that time. And we're in the middle, or we're in the middle. We, we literally just started the near season, which mm-hmm. we actually oh, have to go. Nice. We actually have to go play for episode two, like right after this. Yeah, there's a backlog of several hundred episodes of that that I'm on. God, is it really several several hundred? Oh hell yeah, we, we were. Like, I mean, we were at a hundred by the time we finished Dragon Age. So oh yeah, that was, that's true. That's true. That was four years ago. Oh god, that was so long ago. We're different Coming people then. Five years, baby. <laughs> I finally did the Yoko Taro side quest in Final Fantasy 14. It just tore my heart apart. Just mm, I don't know yeah. what I expected. It's like it's a dead dove moment. <laughs> I don't know what I expected. Teeps, we did consider the Drakengard games. I consider the Drakengard games to be clear. I was going to say, don't let me into that. The the only near that Ken has played is Automata, and so I was I was in the driver's seat for for this as the more near learned person. And uh, Drakengard was a consideration, and I even played some of it to get ready for the season. And I was playing it, and I was like, I am hitting walls with this game. And I know if I am hitting walls that Kenneth Shepard uh, is is not going to get through Dragon Card. <laughs> so uh, we we sum it up. We sum up the important stuff from Dragon Guard in the first episode and then briskly move on to near, which is the stuff that I think Ken is going to engage with more. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm historically very patient with video games. <laughs> you you absolutely love taking the scenic route. You have mm-hmm. never in your mm-hmm. life said, I need to go from point A to B, and I'm going to take the shortest route I can possibly take to do so. I will climb up this mountain in Zelda <laughs> you, just not to walk around it. You will do things that are actively more difficult because in your mind you have created this A to B scenario. <laughs> There's a line that I drew, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Oh, Ken's a lot like me. I watch. Hus- I drive my husband crazy. I watched very Ken try to get across an entire lake in like using the the glacier power instead of just walking around it, and it was the most maddening thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I can <laughs> or, appreciate that. Where I was like, Ken, you could just walk around the lake. It's faster. They even have tutorial stuff that you'll run into. You're like, no, but that's not. It's not a direct line. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's easy, line. and I'm stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh as always you can find uh me at c moosey uh nadia is at nadia oxford cat is the underscore catbot all on twitter for as long as that website stays alive i know elon's rate limiting those dms so it's already starting to look like another beginning of the end pretty grim Uh, there's been a few false apocalypses but yeah the real one's coming well i mean it's like the it's like the bible apocalypse right it's not just one whole shebang you've got all the the Mm. horn judgments and the bold judgments we've got so many left behind books we got to get through on twitter (laughs) just kill me now and you can always find us on patreon.com slash bloodgodpod and on the podcatcher of your choice, please leave us reviews and stuff if you would like to. Only five stars, though. For Ken, for Nadia, for Ash, and for myself, we're heading into the post show with our Stars of Destiny. But for everyone listening on the free feed and the normal feeds, we will see you next week live for the charity stream. We'll catch you there on Acts of the Blood God. <laughs>